Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. The military community um, actively serving service members and their families can feel very isolated in their service and in their experience. Folks feel like um, people who don't serve in the military don't understand just how much the global wars and terror have, have affected everybody's lives. And so I've spent a lot of my time really focused on programs that bridge those gaps and communicate the, the experience of service members and veterans and their families to our civilian neighbors who want to be supportive, but maybe don't understand how. Our guest today on the podcast is Banna Miller, who earned dual degrees in marketing management from Whitman and public relations from Newhouse in the class of 2004. In her current role as Director of Marketing and Communications for Team Red, White, and Blue, Banna helps connect veterans to their community via physical and social activities. She's an, a great advocate for military-connected families, including working on military spouse employment and underemployment issues. We'll get into her great career and her orange success story. But more importantly, Banner recently was admitted into the Bush Institute VLP. It's a great program, Stand to Veteran Leadership. She's one of the scholars studying since June of 2021, ways that she can give back and help our military-connected communities. Banna, it's great to have you here on the podcast. How are you doing these days? I'm doing well, John. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hopefully that introduction was uh, both flattering and a little humbling. <laughs> it was it was a lot, um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of overwhelming to hear it all at once. Um, but I've been part of this kind of military veteran community really almost since I graduated Syracuse. So um, it's been a huge part of my life, almost as much as being orange. Tell our audience a little bit more about what exactly the Bush Institute is on the Stand to Veterans Leadership Program, what that's all about, what its goals are, and why you wanted to be a part of this. Yeah, so I'm so honored to be a part of uh, this cohort. This is the third uh, cohort of the Stand to Veteran Leadership Program. Um, I actually was under consideration for the 2020 cohort, which of course uh, was postponed due to the pandemic. So came back this year. Uh, and it's really focused on increasing the impact and developing the skills of those leaders who serve our nation's veterans. So we meet as a cohort over the course of five months, so starting in June, and our final session will be held in Dallas in October. And we hear from a variety of nationally known and distinguished professionals and educators and experts in veteran and military family transition issues. And then we're also developing our personal leadership projects at the same time. And so we're really, um, you know, the Bush Institute as a whole is committed to improving transition and outcomes for post 9-11 veterans and their families. Uh, and our cohort, you know, hears from some fantastic folks. We've heard from some NASA astronauts about their career paths and leadership advice. We hear from leaders in the government sector, in the private sector, and the scholars include active duty service members, veterans, 
civilians, family members from all sorts of backgrounds and, and industries. And it's been an incredibly humbling experience so far. Uh, I'm going to be traveling to Dallas next week for the third module uh, to connect with everybody in person for the first time. And yeah, I can't wait to see uh, what we all accomplish together. It's one of those overarching programs that is about giving back and, and helping out those who have kept our country safe and done their active duty service to the, the, the military uh, and really can't say enough about the goals of the program. What have you been learning? What are some of the, take us through the modules, take us through the lessons that you've been acquiring since being a scholar in June? Oh my goodness. Uh, so we've, we've focused on all sorts of different aspects of leadership and uh, crisis management, crisis communications. It's an incredible think tank of um, fantastic folks in the cohort, but just um, the people that we're being exposed to as well. Um, and, you know, we have small groups where we kind of support each other's um, projects and organizations. Uh, we have, you know, all just really phenomenal conversations. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see kind of where it goes. The, the first two modules have been virtual. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see how things kind of change and evolve as we meet in person for the first time. How would you describe the makeup of the group and how you kind of fit into the piece of the puzzle with your marketing and communications and PR background? So we have some folks who are, you know, coming from a similar place. Um, a lot of folks on the uh, VSO side, so the veteran serving organization side. Um, but we have a mayor of a town out in Oregon who's, who's a member. We have academics. Um, we have um, folks who are part of the private industry. We have journalists. Um, it's really, there are just over 50 of us, I believe, um, who are just from all sorts of industries. We have a doctor. It's the thing, the connective tissue between all of us is really that we uh, have spent our careers supporting service members, veterans, and their families. And, and so that's a really important, um, you know, it's something that we all have in common and that all that bonds us all together. When, how, and how long will the scholar program uh, last? How many sessions do you have? And is there like a, a graduation when you're all said and done? Yeah. So it's five months. So we started in June and we'll conclude in October. So we meet for, um, we meet every month. So there are five modules. And then we do have a concluding event in Dallas hosted at the Bush Institute in October, uh, which, you know, they, they've kept the details. Uh, I think it's meant to be a surprise, um, but the rumors are that it, it'll be a really nice little uh, capstone event. We're, we're all looking forward to that. It's such a, a noble pursuit to, again, want to give back to these military connected communities, how do you plan to take your experiences as a stand to veteran leadership scholar and give back and benefit those communities? So that's something that I do every day in my professional life. Uh, and, you know, so I've been a military spouse now for the past 16 years. And it was about seven years ago that, oh gosh, maybe even, maybe 
closer to nine years ago when my professional career and my personal life started to intersect. Uh, prior to that, I was working in marketing and communications agencies and, and in other kind of more traditional places for a new house grad. Uh, and then uh, transitioned when my family moved overseas uh, for my husband's career. And that's when I started working as a government contractor for the army. Uh, and then I moved over to the nonprofit side uh, first with with one nonprofit that serves military families. And now for the past uh, three and a half years with Team RWB leading the marketing and communications efforts. And so being able to take the skills and the experience from the veteran leadership program uh, back to Team RWB uh, to support our programming, to support our um, marketing and communications efforts, our strategic partnerships, and uh, you know, as, as a member of the senior leadership team there to be able to support and grow my own team um, as, as we are supporting our 200,000 members across the country. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited to, to bring those additional skills back to the organization. And for those that are listening, Team RWB is Team Red, White, and Blue. Uh, it is the third stint of her career for BANA that has had military connections, including the U.S. Army Contracting Command and Blue Star Families. So really, this, again, is a natural continuation of what you've done for the greater part of a decade. And I'm sure the easy answer is being married to someone in the military, being a military spouse, that fueled a lot of your passion to want to give back what have you seen about um, just the impact that can be made through your efforts and through your work in marketing and communications to, to do the betterment for these military connected communities? It has been an interesting position um, that my family and I have been in over the past you know, decade and a half that the military community um, actively serving service members and their families can feel very isolated in their service and in their experience. Um, I was a student at Syracuse during 9-11. And, and so that experience defined a lot of, of my college experience, uh, but it then continued to define my life and my family's life in a way that it didn't for my classmates and friends who, who graduated. And so I know, you know, that's something that I've heard um, and experienced and in working with the Institute of, uh, for Veterans and Military Families, IVMF at Syracuse, you know, we've done a lot of research um, and surveying of the military community. And that isolation has been kind of a consistent experience across that the military community that folks feel like people who don't serve in the military don't understand just how much the global wars and terror have, have affected everybody's lives. And so at both at Blue Star Families and at Team RWB, uh, I've spent a lot of my time, you know, really focused on programs that bridge those gaps and communicate the, the experience of service members and veterans and their families to our civilian neighbors who want to be supportive, but maybe don't understand how. Uh, and so, you know, at, at RWB, 
that has come in the form of physical activities and uh, hyper-local, physically active events um, that are, you know, functional fitness or running or yoga, and just using that experience of being active with somebody else to create bonds um, and and overcome a lot of those experiences of isolation. I think there's a, and I'm glad you brought this up, I think there's really... um a stigma and a lot to overcome when it comes to the transitioning from being active duty to coming back to civilian life. How have you seen that issue kind of playing out when it comes to transitioning? Like what, what are the troubles? What are the difficulties and, and how can people help and make it easier for those transitions? I know it's a loaded question without really an easy answer, but I wanted to get your perspective given both your work ties into military connected families and you're married to a military spouse as well. Yeah. And, and so my spouse is still, um, is currently serving. So we have not personally dealt with that transition. And, and I think the short answer and hopefully not a cop-out answer is that every transition is unique as every service member and their family. But again, probably the connective tissue there is that, being able to talk about it and that the communication, having somebody or lots of somebody's to, to lean on and not feeling like a service member has to cut off that piece of themselves that, that did serve and lock it away and never talk about it again. Uh, but, but being able to, to talk through those experiences, honor them, uh, remember you know, perhaps friends that were lost uh, in in the course of service, and to just recognize that serving is more than a job; that it's it's a calling. It's it's an all encompassing experience that that really truly defines your life and your your person, probably more than than most jobs or most careers. Uh, and, and being able to honor that piece of yourself, even when it is no longer your day-to-day reality. Uh, and so at, at RWB, we kind of recognize that physical health, social health, and emotional health are all inextricably connected. And being able to focus and put a priority on your physical health can really help support your mental and emotional health through that transition journey. You hit on it perfectly, Banna, when you talked about the holistic approach and not segmenting off your stories that you've dealt with overseas when you come home and compartmentalizing into different parts of yourself you have to embrace. And it can be easier said than done, I can imagine, when it comes to the mental stresses of just dealing with some of the trauma and the tragedy that our our soldiers and our military members have have seen, which is why I'm so proud that you brought up IVMF here at Syracuse and the work that we do I look back to the GI Bill after World War II and Syracuse was leading the charge to offer veterans a chance to come home after serving our country in World War II and earning their degrees. How have you seen Syracuse live up to that motto of being a great place and not even just a great place, one of the best places for veterans to come and study and get their degree? Do you know what is so incredible to me as a a Syracuse alum is that I 
Syracuse is, is known across the military and veteran community and, and with the nonprofits that I've worked for as being a phenomenal partner. As you know, veterans are welcomed uh, on campus in a way that you don't see on other campuses. Uh, and it's, it's not just talking the talk, but it's walking the walk in terms of uh, supporting research and developing programs and, and things like the Onward to Opportunity career development uh, programs for, for service members, for veterans, for their spouses, which is so critical um, as we're talking about addressing um, the military spouse unemployment and underemployment challenges that exist. And so Syracuse comes up so often in my work. And I, I'm, <laughs> I always kind of tr- have to stop myself from sharing in the background going, I went there. That's my school. Uh, you can so, brag here. This is the proper yeah. platform for it. <laughs> I knew about Syracuse first. No, um, you know, it's it's really it gives me an incredible sense of uh, pride in being orange, but also just so much gratitude for the good that Syracuse and IBMF do in uh, the military and veteran space. I want to go back to something you just mentioned, and we talked about it during your introduction the military spouse employment and underemployment challenges. Enlighten our audience. What are some of the issues that face military spouses and how are you trying to play a role to facilitate improving the situation? Military spouse unemployment and underemployment is a a huge issue because of some of the systemic kind of experiences of being a military family, military families, move very frequently and it is challenging for military spouses to to get jobs to keep jobs and to grow a career when they might be moving every one two or three years and i have been very lucky over the course of my career uh due in large part to my education at syracuse and the fantastic foundation that it gave me to to not experience as many of those challenges um and so it has really been close to my heart to um, try and remove as many of those barriers for other military spouses as possible. Um, there are licensing challenges. If a military spouse is an attorney who is barred in one state and then moves to another state, it can be incredibly onerous to you know, get barred in that state only to have to turn around and do it all again two years later uh, when they move. And so, there are lots of different ways that those challenges can be addressed, um, either you know through legislative means or you know working with corporate partners to develop some military employment, military spouse employment initiatives, which there there are many uh, organizations out there and companies who are doing that now, which is fantastic. Uh, but there's still a lot of a lot of work to be done in that area uh, because military families are not going to stop moving. One of the kind of side effects of the last 15 to 18 months with this pandemic is that remote work uh, has become much more common. And so that's huge uh, for the military spouse community. And that's one of the reasons that I have been able to keep my career going the way that I have. I've worked remotely for the past seven plus years. Um, And, you know, I was, again, incredibly lucky to, to, find those opportunities um, and to be able to keep them going. And I know that so many other military spouses would be able to be successful in their careers if they had um, 
access to more flexible work opportunities. It's really issues and complications that I know I've never thought about personally when it came to switching states. And you think about having, I mean, the little things of your, your, your ID, your driver's license, if you have kids, a new school district, get them registered for in that transition to actually getting your benefits tied down and updating all your information. If you're moving, if you're unemployed, collecting unemployment insurance. Um, I mean, there's a whole litany of challenges that come up that I just never was really aware of. Well, and just to give you a little bit of of personal context, you know, I've been a military spouse for 16 years. We are currently moving this summer. We are in the middle of a move uh, in between houses right now. So we are moving from Washington, D.C. to the Seattle area. Uh, We have four children ages eight months to nine years. So that, you know, figuring out schools and medical records and all of those things. But in 16 years, this is our 12th move. And so you think about the logistics of moving a family of six. And this is the first time we've moved as a family of six. But, you know, we've moved as a family of two, three, four, and five. It is incredibly complicated. And so that is another aspect to the military spouse unemployment and underemployment issue is that it can be a full-time job to manage the logistics of finding new doctors and schools and houses and, you know, all of those things. Um, You know, it just, you think about a family that maybe moves once or twice over their lifetime versus 12 times in 16 years. It's, it's a lot. What was it that really ignited this passion for you that this was the line of work that you wanted to get into? You know, it was living it and knowing that my family uh, was was serving as this very small example for our friends and our family back home of what it means to be a military family. Uh, nobody else, you know, certainly um, we had uh, grandparents who served in the military, but nobody else in our immediate circles from, from high school or college was currently serving. And so we were, we were this like data pool of one bridging that gap and, um, and really educating folks about what our personal experience was as, as a military family during the surge in Iraq, during the surge in Afghanistan, um, and, you know, throughout the the global wars on terror. Uh, And so it, it was a very natural transition for me um, in my career because I think it, it just became a passion project. And, um, you know, if I'm going to spend my, my time and my efforts communicating for a living, it might as well be something that I care very deeply about. And I'm lucky to work with uh, a lot of people who feel the same way. I don't think there's anybody who works at at Team RWB, who is not incredibly passionate about what we do and who we do it for and, and the, the people and the families that we serve, either because they have, you know, I have a woman on my team who is a Navy mom and we have veterans and we have spouses and it's just, it's, it's close to all of our hearts. Um, and I think it, it probably has to be to, to work in this, in this area. Well, at the beginning, we had touched base on your passion for 
military connected communities and families and giving back. And we also gave uh, a loop. We'd reference that Syracuse had played a, a critical role in your development as well. Take us back in that time machine. What drew you to Syracuse University in the first place? Oh, my goodness. Um, I knew that I loved to write. I knew that I loved to communicate. And so as I was looking at at schools, um, a family friend said, you know, if if you're looking at journalism or communications, you're going to want to look at Syracuse. Like that's that's the gold standard. Uh, Now, with a little bit of hindsight, I realized that she was a huge Jim Beheim fan and probably just wanted some basketball tickets. Uh, but she was right. I came and I visited campus when I was in high school uh, and immediately felt at home. And so it was um, it was a hundred percent the right place for me. And it was that you mentioned the the joint program. I was um, at Whitman and Newhouse, and that was one of the only places that I looked at that offered a program like that at the time. And so that was incredibly appealing as well. And I came here and met the very best of friends and had the most incredible uh, leadership opportunities outside of the classroom. There were a ton of um, extracurricular activities that I availed myself of, which was great. And then, of course, while I was an undergrad, um, we ended up winning the NCAA tournament. So... (laughs) All good things could not have gone better. Uh, And it's, you know, Syracuse was a formative part of not just my education, but my life. Um, I mean, my kids will tell you now mommy's favorite color is orange. Like there's no question in, in our house. You're raising those kids right. That's the only I, answer that's acceptable. <laughs> I just, I, what I need the Army to do is get us stationed a little bit closer so I can actually uh, bring them to campus for a visit. I have not set foot on campus in over 15 years, so I need to make that happen. Well, we need to get you back on campus to see the beautiful National Veterans Resource Center. It's an unbelievable building that is a great resource for our, our veterans and military-connected communities. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? And what's the advice you would then give to students who are listening about reaching their goals and how they can maximize their potential? So I think the the piece of advice that I would give to any student is to really throw yourself into the experience. I got involved in all sorts of clubs and activities and events. I mean, the speakers that come to campus are just incredible. Even given all that I did, and I I think I tried very hard over um, the course of those years to say yes to as many things as possible, uh, I know that I wasn't able to do it all, and I wish I could have fit more in. So my my advice would be just say yes to as much as you can possibly say yes to and really throw yourself into the experience because you're really, you're never again going to have that level of those resources uh, surrounding you at all times. Uh, And I think probably the best piece of advice that I received um, was it it was a family friend who was an alum who kind of took me around campus once and, and introduced me to all the, the good pizza everywhere. So that, that set me off on the right foot. My freshman year was like knowing where all the good food was on campus. (laughs) So (laughs) I was well-fed. 
sure. invaluable expertise out there knowing about I varsity mean, and all the great places to go. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I had my first slice of varsity pizza and it was over. So, you know, it was uh, it was an incredible experience. And I can't wait to take my kids back to campus and hopefully get them uh, to fall in love with it as much as I do. Now, you mentioned uh, the, the benefit of going to Syracuse and getting to do that dual program with Whitman for marketing management and Newhouse with public relations. Mm-hmm. When you look at what you've accomplished in your career, what's the biggest way that your Syracuse University education has impacted your career success? I use what I learned at Syracuse uh, and, and at Newhouse and Whitman every single day. A lot has changed in PR and marketing and communications, certainly the technology. Um, we didn't have Facebook uh, or social media when I was a student, and that's fine. I'm not old, but although I have to correct you, we did have the book of faces. We did. You- <laughs> <laughs> we did. But so it was, you know, I, I wasn't learning. Um, I, I didn't learn how to craft a social media post in my new house classes, but I use the skills and the techniques and, and the strategy of, of what I learned at Syracuse every single day. Um, and I actually, I have another Syracuse member on my team. Uh, she's one of our associate directors at Team RWB. Uh, and we, we say all the time, you know, how much we learned in our classes um, that are still applicable in terms of, I mean, even in crisis communications, when we were going through the start of the pandemic, you know, we, we reached back into the recesses of our brain for the things that we learned at Syracuse um, to kind of get us through those times. So just the most incredible uh, foundation for my career that I could ask for. And there's still so much more that you are going to accomplish and achieve with your career, including after October's graduation uh, from the Bush Institute Stand to Veterans Leadership Program, giving back to your community through Team Red, White, and Blue, your work in marketing and communications. Banna, it's been a real pleasure and a treat getting to tell your story here on the podcast. We wish you nothing but the best and continued success. Thank you so much, John. It was great talking to you. uh, And I can't wait to listen to the rest of your podcasts and learn a little bit more about some other alums out there. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.